everyone, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you as always from the heart of North Yorkshire, England, where it's a glorious sunny day. It's about 22 degrees out there at the moment. I've got the windows open in the car, so if you can hear uh, bird life and other country noises, then uh, that's the reason why. Um, I'd probably bake if I put the windows up. Uh, but again, it's been a while since we last got together to talk about Dexter. I did squeeze out a shorter podcast about Season 6, which will be spoilerific if you've not seen up to the end of Season 5. Um, if you've not uh, updated the uh, the feed for a while and you've got this Season 6 preview. Um, I just spent a bit of time talking about some casting news for Season 6 and speculated about some new characters we've heard about. But today, we're going back to Season 1 and finishing off this brilliant opening season for Dexter as we review the finale. As I said, it's been a while since I last talked to you and I apologise for that. Things have been pretty hectic. Despite the lack of regular podcasts, I have found time to watch a couple more episodes of Six Feet Under and it's fascinating to see Michael C. Hall play such a different character. And it's a really well-written show. I'm enjoying it. Check it out if you've never seen it before and fancy a Michael C. Hall fix before September. I'm also watching uh, Game of Thrones, which keeps getting better, and also Justified, which is another great show, well worth watching. And away from dramas, I'm working my way through Community, which I'm finding a bit hit and miss. Some episodes are definitely funnier than others, but I like the characters, so I'm sticking with it. But, <laughs> as always, I'm digressing a bit. But, as I've not done a Gareth's Waste of Time podcast for ages, this podcast is my only chance to waffle about other stuff, so uh, I hope you don't mind indulging me from time to time, but I'll try and stay on point now. Let's get back to Dexter. We're on to the finale, Season 1, Episode 12, entitled Born Free. Original air date, 17th of September... Ooh, 17th of December, 2006... Written by Daniel Cerrone and Melissa Rosenberg and directed by Michael Quester. I've talked about these three before, so let's waste no more time and jump into the episode. There's loads to talk about. I've lived in darkness a long time. Over the years, my eyes adjusted until the dark became my world and I could see. But then Rudy turned on the light. He flooded my memory and now I'm blind. I don't have much time. Or to be more accurate, my sister doesn't have much time. He wants me to find them, but where do I look? I can't think. It's too bright. This is one of my favourite opening quotes from Dexter. What a great analogy. His eyes getting used to the darkness that surrounded him since his mother was murdered. And then Rudy comes along with revelations about his past. It's like he's shone a light, blinding him with it. It's overwhelmed him, and now having Deb to look for gives him something to focus on and find a way through it. So the show picks up straight away on the tension built last episode and we join Deborah on Rudy's boat. 
She's come too and is a little more than alarmed when Rudy opens his bag of tricks to reveal an assortment of knives and bone saws. She tries to get through to him, saying, This isn't you. And it's funny how she's only now seeing the real him while all along she was just seeing the facade he put up. Sound familiar? So Rudy bends down to her, saying he never wanted to hurt her, but then the cold bastard says, Does this make it easier for you? Because I can keep going. He does a little tilt of his head in an almost robotic way. Nice bit of body language from actor Christian Camargo there. But what a cold psycho though. Jeez. This is a really good scene actually. Deb's in pieces and she realises Rudy Cooper isn't his real name, but we'll still call him that for now. Rudy leans back and seems almost relieved that his plan is almost done. Perfectly fitting the mould of a psychopath, he shows absolutely no remorse for those he's hurt. There's a tinge of excitement in his voice as he says this is a lot of years in the making. And of course we still don't know what his endgame is, or what's been his motivation all along. Some of you may have had an inkling by this point, but on first watch, I certainly didn't. Meanwhile, Dexter's feeling the pressure. Normally so calm, he's stressing over Deb's safety and feels sure Rudy would have left something to help him find him. So he's made a leap here, presumably because of the game they've been playing, although the rules have been totally dictated by Rudy, but the personal element to the game. Dexter's made the perfectly reasonable conclusion that this is about him and not Deb. As he's turning his apartment over, his laptop comes on, and uh, the screensaver, and there are images of lions and the song Born Free playing. Dexter makes a connection to his mother's murder and thinks he knows where they'll be. The shipping yard where the bloodbath occurred. He sits back and you can see on his face a feeling of dread at having to go back there. We can see he's clearly feeling emotions here. A few of them, and those who at this point still think Dexter's just a psycho, could argue that he's desperate, uh, desperate to get to Rudy to find out what his game is. But I think he's shown enough and said enough in voiceover to signal clearly that he's concerned for Deborah, perhaps first and foremost. Next morning, Dokes and LaGuerta visit Batista in hospital. They tell him that the hooker he'd talked to, the one with the prosthetic hand, they tell him that she's been hacked up by the ice truck killer. They think this indicates he was onto something with her and the stabbing was to put a stop to it. But Batista says no one apart from Masuka knew what he was doing. Batista then remembers talking to Rudy about it because he's the prosthetic doctor. But Deb's boyfriend. Dokes tells him Deb's been missing since the night before and then <laughs> panic sets in and they rush out leaving Batista looking anxious. Then back with Dexter, he's obviously been at it all night trying to identify the exact location in the port of Miami where his mother was murdered assuming that's the container where Rudy and Deb will be. He gets an ID on the container, but Dokes and LaGuerta turn up at his door. Through the conversation, Dokes presses that Dexter knows something. He saw him skulking in the police lab the night before, ordering blood tests, and Dex looks genuinely uncomfortable and rattled by this. He has to reveal what happened with the blood on Batista's collar, and that it was ID'd as Rudy's. He says he couldn't destroy Deb's love life on a hunch, though, and he needed to find out more before he blew the whistle. Dokes is pissed off and says if Deb dies, it's on Dexter. Dokes is convinced Dexter knows more. He can really read Dexter, can't he? At least to an extent. But they go, leaving Dexter free to pursue the lead on the container. Cut to Rita. And uh, Paul calls her. He's imploring her to believe that he knows nothing of the circumstances the police found him in. 
He swears blind he'd kicked the drugs, despite them finding him with a needle in his arm. Of course, we know he's telling the truth, and Dexter set it up. But Paul says he has no idea how he was in her house one minute, and then wakes up in the motel room. He thinks he was set up by Dexter, but Rita slams the phone down. She trusts Dexter implicitly, doesn't she? Back at Miami Metro, LaGuerta is mobilising the troops to find Rudy Cooper. They've got a warrant to search his apartment. They go to leave, but Matthews interrupts to introduce the new lieutenant, Esme Pascal. She quickly asserts her authority and undermines LaGuerta. Given our dislike for LaGuerta, I actually felt sorry for her here. As they go to leave, Matthews gives her a look that made me want to slap him, the supercilious prick. Dexter's at the shipyard and breaks in with great ease. He finds a computer and searches for the container reference number, finding the location in the port, and it struck me that it was quite a slim chance that a single container that was here, what, 30-odd years ago, would still be here now. Don't containers get used and reused and transported all over the world, potentially? Why would this one still be here, or happen to be here today? I don't know, a bit of uh, convenience for the plot, perhaps, but... I know Rudy's well prepared, and maybe he knew it would be here now. Anyway, Dexter finds the container, and he has a kind of vision of Harry carrying a small boy out of there, promising that nothing will hurt him. The scene fades out, leaving Dexter alone with the container. He opens it to find it full of bananas. Surprise, motherfucker! Are you following me now? You better have a hell of a reason for being here. I'm looking for my sister. In a cargo box? Yeah, I'm kind of working on a theory. You forget you work for the fucking cops? We love theories. Come on, spin me a story, asshole. What I do in my time is my business, Sergeant. Yeah, me too. And I'm on my time now. There's no lieutenant here to save your ass. So don't fuck with me, Morgan. All right, you got me. I ordered some furniture from Thailand. I was waiting for it to be delivered. What the hell? Dokes hit him. Dexter retaliates, but you would, wouldn't you? But Dokes hit first, striking a colleague... A rush of blood to the head, tired of Dexter's lies and angry that even now, while his sister might be in the hands of a serial killer, Dexter still lies. Dokes has shown that he likes and cares about Deborah, and takes out his frustration and anger on Dexter, convinced more than ever now that he knows more about this case than he's letting on. However, a shipyard worker turns up and disturbs the fight, which is a shame. You, <laughs> you wonder who'd have won. Dokes was special forces and of course knows how to handle himself. I wouldn't have bet against him. Dexter might have had to use deadly tactics to get one over. Both their pages go off, though. Something's happening. But we cut to Rudy driving along, classical music playing, all nice and relaxed and chilled, until he hears Deb screaming from the back. He rolls his eyes and pulls over. <sighs> Bastard, he really has no genuine affection for Deb. She was just a pawn to him. He opens up the boot, or trunk as you might call it, and puts a new strip of duct tape over her mouth. She's got every right to be upset. She's lying next to the dead body of the car's owner. I think I'd be a bit unsettled if that was me. We join Dexter again, and see he's been called to Rudy's place. Police all over it, and he muses that this is Rudy's happy, happy place. An interesting choice of words, happy place. But obviously he can identify with the need to have a sanctuary. He also muses that this could be where Rudy left him a clue. He finds, he finds the refrigerated room, 
Masuka's in there, and Dexter says this place must have taken years to put together. Rudy must have hated leaving it behind. The room is an absolute treasure trove of evidence, and you have to assume that Rudy was never intending to be found again by anyone other than Dexter. He's been so careful all this time, and while you could say he had to step up the time frame for his plan, and had to leave the apartment in a... Oh, in quite a hurry. It could also be at this stage that he simply doesn't care what evidence he left behind. He's not planning on going back, and Rudy Cooper will soon be in the wind. Dexter sets to work, analysing the place to try and find that vital clue that might only mean something to him. We cut, though, and join Rita out in her yard, when she's approached by a man who says he's Paul's Narcotics Anonymous sponsor. He's in Paul's corner, and says the x-rays show a skull fracture. Rita says that'll be from where she hit him, but no, they took the x-rays then, too, and there was no fracture. But Rita sticks up for Dexter and sends the guy away. I thought the bloke looked a bit like Woody Harrelson. Anyway, we go back to Rudy's place. They've traced the name and social security number for Rudy Cooper and found he was a plumber who mysteriously died in 1998. Oh dear. Dexter's ears prick up, but it results in him and Dokes clashing again. LaGuerta steps in and calls it. But it tells Dokes something that he assaulted Dexter, yet he said nothing about it. If you were in Dexter's position and had nothing to hide, and your sergeant assaulted you, you'd report it, wouldn't you? It gives Dokes further confirmation that there's a lot more going on, as if he needed further confirmation. Dexter spots an old record player with a seven-inch single on the table, the turntable. <laughs> wow, a vinyl record. Remember those? The record is Born Free, by Andy Williams, linking with the lions they saw on, uh, that he saw on the computer earlier. Dexter asked someone nearby if there was anything else with the record player and he's shown a doll wearing an apron or something that says home sweet home. Dexter thinks this could be the clue, Rudy taking him back to a place where a boy was born before the blood, but he doesn't know which home. Want to end up on my table? Email dissectingdexter at gmail.com we cut to what looks like a garage. Black plastic lining the walls. Rudy's there with Deb, still gagged and bound. She's on her feet, trying to run, panicking. She knows, of course, what this guy's capable of, so who can blame her blind panic? But she's bumping into walls like a pinball. And it reminds me of the scene in Fargo. No spoilers, but if you've seen the film, you'll know the bit I mean. I can still see uh, Steve Buscemi laughing. So Rudy watches Deb bump about a bit before sort of tripping her to the floor and jabbing her Dexter style with a syringe to knock her out. I'll say it again. Bastard. Meanwhile, Dexter's in the office looking up Laura Moser, the woman that he knows was his mum. He looks up her old home address and gets up to go. Surprise. What are you doing here? White chocolate mocha, your favourite. I'm going to have to drink it on the road. You know, I've never even been here before. I'd love a tour sometime. Yeah, sometime that's not now. Uh, Dexter, what's going on? It's Deb, okay? She's in trouble. Oh, God, is it serious? Yeah, actually, it's very serious, but I just can't worry about you two right now. I'd say poor Rita, but she was kind of getting in the way of a life-or-death situation there. Not that she realised it. But again, the emotion in Dexter's voice was well evident. He sounded impatient and irritated with her, but then again, he was going to try and save Deborah's life. He didn't need domestic distractions. And it's no spoiler for me to say that domestic distractions will be something we'll be getting used to. Cut to Batista in hospital. 
There's a nut job in the bed next to him. The nurse explains he's come from the county hospital, but he's harmless. County have all the violent ones, and then Batista gets an idea. Bearing in mind they now know Rudy Cooper is an alias. He has an idea that, given Rudy's a serial killer, he might have been treated for mental illness at County and would have been fingerprinted. He calls in and requests that Rudy's prints be run against psych institution uh, patient records. Maybe they can find out who Rudy really is. In the meantime, Dex is on the trail of finding out for himself. He pulls up outside the address he got from Laura Moses' records. Dexter approaches the house and memories come back to him, playing a game of hide-and-seek with his mother in the front garden. When we see Laura's fingernails painted different colours, something might have clicked, but wow, Dexter has a brother, and that brother is the ice truck killer. Yeah, it explains one hell of a lot, but bugger me, two brothers, both turning into serial killers, what are the odds? And it's nice to see that there was some happiness there in his early childhood. Laura seemed happy, no hint of the drug problems or other issues that seemed to come into play later. And it's sad to think of what could have been. Mother's love didn't seem to be a problem. The memory is broken by Rudy standing on the doorstep of the house. I'll play the clip. It deserves it. This is the culmination of everything we've been watching this season. I have a brother. A real brother. None of this foster bullshit. We're blood brothers. Through birth and death. Watching mom die? It's amazing that we survived that, isn't it? chainsaw, flying body parts, the blood. You were there too? Two days sitting in blood before they found us. You were young enough to block it out. I've never forgotten the day that we were born. Exactly. Where's Deb? This is pretty momentous for them both. Although, why Brian had to kill all those people just to get to this point? I mean, he could have just phoned. But I guess, being a psycho killer, he needed all those to satisfy his own dark needs and wanted to get Dexter to remember gradually. But it seems that we quickly have an answer to how they both ended up with psychotic tendencies, although there are great differences between the two of them. But we'll come to that. Dexter remembers he's there to find Deb and rushes into the house looking for her. Brian says something about wanting to wait for Dexter to arrive before starting. Dexter opens a door and sees a vision of himself and his brother as children. Brian's putting a plaster on Dexter's knee after a fall. 
The young Dex kind of bizarrely turns to look at his older self standing there, and they make eye contact, and Dexter says hi. The young boy suddenly says, look out, just as Brian steps from behind and jabs Dexter in the neck with a syringe. The vision fades and Dexter collapses. Back at Miami Metro, Batista walks in and presents Rudy Cooper's true identity as Brian Moser, former patient at a mental hospital in Tampa, where he grew up. He was institutionalised for antisocial personality disorder. At 21, they thought he was cured and he was released. LaGuerta makes moves to find everything they can about Brian Moser, but Lieutenant Pascal comes in and gets hung up on Deb's mobile phone signal being last tracked offshore. She wants to get helicopters out searching. LaGuerta says that was last night, Brian will have moved by now, but of course, Pascal doesn't listen. The dynamic there is very much like LaGuerta and Deb earlier in the season. LaGuerta marches off into her old office and confronts her replacement, but to a surprise, Pascal says she understands her being there is nothing to do with LaGuerta's competence, but everything to do with Captain Matthews' attempts to save his job. That, that takes the wind out of LaGuerta's sails. Pascal also says she's been told her first directive is to make LaGuerta's life difficult. Pascal says Matthews doesn't know her very well. Well, there could be interesting times to come in that regard. Cut to the Moser house. Brian and Dexter at a table. Dexter tape up, taped up. But as he wakes, Brian starts talking. We learn an immediate difference between the two of them. Dexter was only three at the time, at the time of their mother's death. And he was able to be adopted by Harry Morgan, who was the first officer on the scene. Brian remembers Harry looking at him, and he says, Harry just saw a fucked up kid. When we saw the flashback of the bloodbath, we saw young Dexter again in the pool of blood, crying. While Brian was next to him, sitting quietly, his chin resting on his knees. Very different body language and behaviour. Brian a bit older and susceptible for this to have a more profound effect on him. Dexter grew up with the only family he'd ever known, the Morgans, while Brian grew up with only memories of a family he once had. Dexter received the nurture of a loving family and the guidance of Harry, who realised something was wrong, but guided Dexter in the way he thought best. Mom always told me to look after you. Imagine how I felt when I tracked you down and found out you were exactly like me. I don't have to imagine. Dexter feeling an affinity with Brian here, quite understandable. Dexter's essentially been alone all this time, alone with his dark passenger despite having Deborah and Harry prior to his death. And now, right in front of him, he has his only living blood relative, who is seemingly just like him. Dexter must feel so overwhelmed with what must be close to a sense of relief, someone who can empathise and understand him. Brian unties Dexter and says to him that he can be his complete, genuine self with him. Another vision appears to Dexter as he looks across the room. He sees his young self, his brother next to him, with his arms around him protectively. It's very touching and symbolic. In his twisted serial killer way, Brian is still trying to protect him now. Just to break off for a sec, isn't this dialogue fantastic? We've got Brian, who clearly came to terms with his lot a long time ago, here trying to bring Dexter around, his long-lost brother, who he was relieved to discover is a serial killer like him, bound in blood in every way. This is a gripping scene, especially doing a rewatch and knowing what I do about what's to come. 
Brian then gives Dexter a knife and says, I think we're ready for Deborah. Oh, God. Dexter looks confused and in a bewildering state. He follows Brian to the garage, almost in a trance. And there we see Deb laid out on a kill table, wrapped in shrink wrap like we've seen so many of Dexter's victims. Brian asks Dexter about whether his victims were all killers, which we know they, which we know they are. Brian mocks Harry for giving Dexter this code and likens him to a little Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder. Dexter says Brian is a killer without regret or remorse. Brian says Dexter can be like that too. Dexter says, I don't know who I am. A sad admission, but one that's not very surprising. We've seen Dexter struggling with his identity, his inner self, his dark passenger. He calls himself a monster, yet we see he can have genuine emotion. Remember the progress he made with Dr Meridian. Even though he was scoping him for a kill, he made some... He had some genuine, significant personal realisations. Brian wants Dexter to kill Deborah and free himself, but Dexter says he can't kill her. He pauses, looking for the right word, and says he's fond of her. So there, expressing feeling towards somewhere else, Dexter there. When he's reckoned not to feel anything in the past, here he is, admitting it. But Brian comes out with a good line. Oh, Deb. Oh, no, don't, don't say that. I'm very... You can't be a killer and a hero. It doesn't work that way! Brian had mocked Dexter for being a kind of avenger because he only kills killers. You can't be a killer and a hero. But Dexter has shown that it can work. But it's something Brian can't comprehend because he's never had any of, any of the guidance to help channel his darkness that Dexter did. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Okay, so let's just break away from the plot at this point and just consider for a moment the difference between Brian and Dexter. I'm talking specifically about the comparison between nature versus nurture. Now, in the book that uh, I think I've talked about, I have talked about on this show before, The Psychology of Dexter that was uh, recommended to us, I think it was by uh, Sandy Anderson, uh, recommended the book. It's edited by Bella de Paolo and you can get it from... Uh, Amazon. Um, there's a great chapter that fascinated me, the chapter Naughty by Nature, Dexter by Design. And the author, Joshua Gowin, speculates that where Brian and Dexter differ may be the result of their different upbringings. Now up until the point that Harry took Dexter out of that container, Brian and Dexter had shared an upbringing. They had the same mother, obviously, the same home, and uh, and, and shared a lot of of those early childhood experiences and then at that traumatic point in their lives when they witnessed that brutal slaying of their mother and uh, spent the following couple of days trapped inside that container uh, I mean it's <laughs> even for an adult you, you're going to suffer some post-traumatic stress aren't you but for uh, impressionable children god well we can see quite clearly what it what it did to them um, but after that point their lives the, the paths of their lives kind of diverted from each other whilst sharing some similarities because obviously they were both um, fundamentally affected in a very twisted and dark way by what they experienced. But Dexter experienced that, that loving family upbringing uh, with the Morgans uh, while Brian was um, 
uh, he, he went through the foster care system and uh, ended up in a mental institution. So really, um, Joshua Gowin says that really Brian and Deb provide reference points for Dexter's nature and his nurture, which is an interesting point. We've seen through flashbacks that Harry was acutely aware of the darkness within Dexter and he acknowledged it while at the same time trying to help him and, well, he took the decision to try and channel that aggression, channel that darkness in a controlled way. Sadly, Harry pretty much wrote Dexter off as, uh, in, in terms of having any hope of, um, not salvation, but any, in any hope of, of curing his darkness. And ultimately, pretty much said, OK, well, if Dexter's going to have to, if Dexter's got to kill, then at least he can focus that, that lethal aggression on people who truly deserve it. But also, he, we've seen through the flashbacks, he was trying to teach Dexter uh, appropriate behaviour. And just going back to Brian, it, it seems that quite clearly he didn't have any of that. He maybe I mean, we've, we've not seen what sort of foster homes he went through, but maybe he went through homes where the parents simply didn't care, didn't care to try and, and do anything about guiding Brian in a more positive way. Maybe he exhibited these, maybe he exhibited darkness like Dexter did, um, and and the foster parents just um, kind of got frightened off by it and maybe sent him back to social services to be assigned to a new family. I mean that that could have happened. And in this episode born free we see that brian just it was beyond him it, it, he couldn't understand dexter's character couldn't understand dexter's reticence to cause harm to deborah because it reflected a nurture that he never knew he just couldn't get his head around it he never had a, a constructive outlet for his antisocial behavior unlike uh, dexter and the guidance he received from harry Harry showed Dexter the difference between right and wrong. Brian's victims were, were all innocent and defenceless. And as we've seen with his callous use of, of Deborah this season, although uh, obviously she's survived, but look at how he used the, the prostitutes. They were simply a means to an end. He, he killed all those people purely to get through to Dexter. And like I said earlier in the show, couldn't he have just made a phone call? And Joshua uh, Gowin in his article says... Um, how uh, Brian charmed Deborah as a tool and intended eventually to have Dexter kill her as an act of solidarity. But Dexter just, he's just not like that, is he? It doesn't abide by the code of Harry. And also, we've seen Dexter does have some sort of conscience. He does know the difference between right and wrong. He cares for Deborah. He wasn't just going to stick a knife in her and end her life just because someone told her to, even if that someone was his biological brother. Dexter had developed his own sense of morality. And to quote Joshua Gowen again, he says how ultimately these moral values led Dexter to a rejection of his blood brother, Brian, in favour of his adopted sister, Deb, who shares his sense of morality. And he learned all this through proper parenting. And although it pained him to kill his biological brother and condemn his own nature along with Brian's, he saw value in his decision. And he couldn't stand to see Deb harmed. Not only was she innocent, but he also admitted how fond he was of her. It really is a fascinating area to explore. And, uh, I mean, I'm, as I've made clear before, I'm certainly not a, a trained psychologist or anything remotely like it. Just a fan of the show, a humble fan of the show. But it's a fascinating area to dig into. And if you are interested in understanding a little bit more about the psychology 
uh, behind these characters, then definitely check out the psychology of Dexter. As I say, you can get it on Amazon. Don't follow me. Follow the podcast. Get on Twitter and follow at Dissect Dexter. So, back to the show. And uh, Brian takes the knife from Dexter and goes to stab Deb in the chest, but Dexter grabs his wrist and stops him. Deb opens her eyes and we all think, oh shit, Dexter's game is up. But maybe he can explain that he was just saving Deb, assuming she'd not heard their prior conversation. Maybe he can get out of it. At least that's what I was thinking on the first watch. But Brian doesn't take kindly to Dexter's interference and he lays into him and a fight ensues. And I was a little surprised. I mean, yeah, Brian wants Dexter on board with him. He wants them to be together, work together. Hell, even kill together, yet he's pretty quick to lose control and fight him. Perhaps an indicator of another difference between them. Dexter not having such a short fuse. But while they're fighting, we hear sirens approaching and Brian disappears through a door, locking it behind him. Dokes and co. rush in and Dexter points to where Brian went. Jeez, didn't you think he's got some explaining to do? They find a hole in the floor where Brian's made his exit kind of great escape style. Paramedics check out Deb while Dokes and LaGuerta talk to Dexter. And he makes out that Brian called him, having second thoughts about killing Deb. Dokes, of course, is sceptical and wants Dexter suspended. Deb hears this and she goes apeshit at him, calling Dexter a hero. Nice passion in Jennifer Carpenter's performance there. Deb going to bat for her brother. Dexter accompanies her in the back of an ambulance and she's going to hospital to get checked over. But did you wonder who's driving the ambulance, though? Maybe I've seen too many horror films. She tries to pull the engagement ring off her finger, and Dexter helps her take it off. A bit of an unfortunate metaphor for what happened in real life with the breakup of the actors' marriage to each other. It's pretty clear, though, that Deb wasn't aware of any of the conversation between Dex and Brian, which is, of course, very fortunate. Deb's wondering why Brian chose her. Obviously, there is a perfectly good reason why her, but Dexter can never tell her, can he? She bursts into tears on him, saying thank you, thank you, and how Dad would be so proud. Her words seem to touch him, but the scene quickly jumps back to Rita, which is a shame because uh, Michael C. Hall was starting to show a bit of nice emotion on his face. Paul uh, rings Rita again, asking if Dexter's been acting strangely. He's convinced Dexter had something to do with him being back in jail. He says one of his shoes is missing and asks us to look for it. What did I just do? I drove away a brother who accepts me, sees me, for an adopted sister who'd reject me if she knew, and a foster father who betrayed me. That's what it was, a betrayal. The most important single fact about me, I'm not alone, and Harry kept it from me. What do I really owe him after that? Dexter's tormented, isn't he? What a massive revelation for him, and he just doesn't understand why Harry kept his brother from him. He's angry, understandably. Of course, we can look at this with a rational mindset and understand why he stopped Brian killing Deborah. It's obvious. Brian might be his blood brother, but he's a psychopathic killer who doesn't care who he hurts. Dexter is a killer, yes, but he has his strict code. Wanton killing of innocence without remorse must be abhorrent to Dexter. And we've also seen he does have brotherly feelings for Deborah. He did what was right, yet he's tormenting himself now that he's turned away the only living member of his real family. 
Deb's let out of hospital and goes to stay at Dexter's apartment. Not sure how Dexter really feels about sharing with someone, but he doesn't want her to be alone. It's very sweet, though. He leans over her as she sleeps and says, Good night, sister. Later, Dexter's asleep on his sofa and Brian walks in. Or rather, he breaks into the apartment. And he makes a beeline for the bedroom and plunges a knife into Deborah's back, but surprise, it's a dummy. <laughs> Brian doesn't have much time to look stunned as a cord gets wrapped around his neck. Dexter tells him he left Deb at the hospital as Brian's choked out. And the fact that that isn't Deb um, kind of sheds a slightly different light on Dexter saying goodnight, sister. It's almost like he's afraid to, to show that genuine... Say those words to Deborah herself um, that he felt comfortable saying it to a dummy. Uh, but the fact that he said it at all is, is nice that he acknowledges the fact. Brian wakes up wrapped to a table in the refrigerated unit at his apartment. Dexter walks in, and it's obvious he intends to kill him. He offers to give Brian some tranquilizer, a service I don't usually offer, he says. Brian seems totally calm. Perhaps he welcomes death. It's a way to escape the torment he's suffered since that day in the shipyard. Dexter doesn't take a bloodslide today, though. He says, you're not a trophy, but you need to be put down for the safety of my sister. So, wow, right there. Nothing to do with the code, just protecting Deborah. Dexter's come a long way already this series, but he'll do this purely for his adopted sister. She's not your real sister. She's a stranger to you and she'll always be one. I tried to help you by killing her. I know that! You should know this isn't easy for me. Watching that a second time, I found that a lot more emotional. Dexter even says sorry to him. Brian pointed out it's Dexter who needs to be set free, and that may be true. And you can see the series as a whole, ultimately, as Dexter's journey, trying, although not necessarily consciously, but trying to conquer his dark passenger. It's not a spoiler to say this, but something to look forward to. How tragic, though, having to kill your own brother. 
what would that do to your mind? What would it do to your head? What will it do to Dexter's mind? Great performance by Michael C. Hall in that scene. I love the moment when he put his forehead to Brian's, perhaps thinking about their younger days when Brian looked after him. It's really sad how a brutal and tragic event tore them apart, tore their little family apart, and set them both on individual paths. With some similarities, yet fundamentally different, but always destined to meet up again. It's a tragic story, but really well written by the show's creators. But this episode isn't over yet. Back at Rita's house, things seem normal. Dexter arrives with coffee, and Rita's delighted to see him, and we get one of the lines of the season. Poor thing must be a mess. Falling for a serial killer. What are the odds? You've got to love the show's sense of humour. Rita asks if he's okay, and he first says yes, then no, and again, great acting from Hall. The change in his expression says a thousand words. He almost seems on the verge of a tear, but then composes himself quickly and just says he's been through a lot lately. They have a kiss, and it seems like Dexter thinks spending some time with Rita and the kids will help. Perhaps he's feeling some natural paternal instinct there, or maybe he just thinks being in that family atmosphere will be kind of therapeutic in some way. I did like Rita's comment when she asked Dexter to keep her in the loop in future, so she doesn't worry so much. She says, you never know, I might be able to handle the truth. <laughs> and in voiceover, Dexter says he wishes that was the case, but there's no one left alive who can handle the truth. Dexter leaves the house, and as he goes to the car, he sees Dokes watching him from a car nearby, clearly following him, keeping an eye setting something up for next season, clearly. And then we see Rita finding Paul's shoe in the garden, confirming what he'd said. Will she reveal it? Again, something for next season. In voiceover, Dexter says how he sometimes yearns for all the darkness in him to be revealed. It's like a burden he wants to be rid of, but has no idea how. But he has to stay hidden. His survival depends on it, he says. And then we see Deborah arriving back at work at a crime scene, Dexter joining her. His voiceover says basically that she'll not let people see how she's affected by what's happened. And that's Deborah. She wears a heart on her sleeve, but at the same time, she's good at hiding her feelings too. She's a tough cookie, but underneath, maybe not so. Dexter says she's now in hiding too. Slightly different secrets, though. In voiceover, he reveals how he's mourning the death of his brother, the one person he didn't have to hide from. So openly here, admitting to us that he's feeling a normal human emotion, although he doesn't acknowledge that aspect of it. He, he muses how people would probably thank him if they knew he'd been the one to get rid of him, and perhaps they'd appreciate a lot of his work, taking out killers who've escaped regular justice, taking out the trash. And the scene changes into a kind of public ticker-tape celebration of Dexter, placards confetti even a plane flies over with a we love dexter banner it's quite funny a little fantasy of his though a, a world where he doesn't have to hide where he is one of them only in their darkest dreams he says as we fade to black and there we have it dexter's protected his sister ridded society of a dangerous killer fantasizes about being appreciated for what he does yet in the end still having to hide and carry this dark passenger inside him. I really like how the season panned out with the relationship of Dexter and Deborah firmly established as a very solid one, one that he'd kill his own brother for. 
He rejected the blood relation, one that he had no recollection of until the last day or two, and instead opted for the pseudo one with a girl who had been a sister to him in every respect except one, the blood tie, I mean, and she'd been a constant for him, believing in him, trusting him and relying on him. This relationship has brought out some surprising feelings for Dexter, and he hasn't rejected them. He is not the emotionless monster he'd led us to believe back at the start. Perhaps there is hope for him, and as we go into season two, it'll be fascinating to see development here as he hopefully makes progress to normalcy or something close to it. Dexter likes to think of himself as a lone wolf of sorts, but as the saying goes, no man is an island. He needs these connections with people to keep a foot in normalcy. These connections to Deborah and the growing one with Rita, they can help him find his humanity. Humanity that we've already seen plenty evidence of. Neither of them are judging him. Okay, neither know about his darkness, but they don't really need to know in order to help him, or to be of some help to him. Simply by knowing that they care about him, Dexter has a, a human connection, and that alone can help him plunging into the darkness irrevocably. There's another connection, actually, one that I've not talked about at any great length. One with Camilla, the clerk in the file room. While I'm talking about human connections, I'll just talk about her a little bit now. She obviously knew Harry pretty well, and she seems to care what happens to Dexter. She clearly knows what happened to him where he came from. She destroyed the file. It's almost like she has a kind of surrogate mother thing going on. She said a few things this season that you could hear a mother saying to her son. I can't think of exact examples offhand now I'm recording. Uh, she mentioned his fingernails once. Oh yes, and she said something to him about finding a nice girl and settling down, but little hints like that. And remember when he brought in donuts to the office... He'd pass them round to his colleagues, and then only take time to actually talk to Camilla, none of the others. I know he used Camilla to get files for potential victims, but he took the time to small talk, to chit-chat. He seems to genuinely like her and want to pass the time with her. Does he still subconsciously yearn for a mother figure? He felt something like a sense of betrayal when he discovered that Camilla knew about his mother, but never told him. She's an interesting one, Camilla, and we'll see more of her in future episodes. So, OK, that's pretty much my thoughts as we stand now. So let's hear what you guys thought. Listener feedback. OK, we've got a nice mailbag this week uh, talking about the finale. Firstly, I just want to make a quick thank you to a few new iTunes reviews that I've seen appear. Uh, apologies if I replicate anybody I've already thanked. There may be one I've already mentioned. I'm trying to look at the dates on the reviews and thinking, have I thanked this person? Have I not? Well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I can't thank you guys enough. So um, here we go. Thanks to Baggy77, Maxi, Simps303, Mallory Olden, and Jerry from Texas. Thanks, guys, for your positive excellent iTunes reviews, much appreciated. Anyone else who feels so inclined to um, just leave me a few uh, good words on iTunes, would be greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance. Feedback. Uh, the listener lines in the US, the number is 206-338-7981. And in the UK, it's 0844-579-6949. 
And with the UK line, you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. OK, so let's jump straight away to a voicemail. Travis, our old friend, has left a great voicemail. Here we go with what Travis said about the finale. Hey, Gareth, this is Travis. I'm calling in to uh, give my thoughts on the season one finale, as uh, ununique as they're going to be. I mean, what is there, what is there to say about uh, season one that people haven't already said? And I imagine the other callers are going to say a lot of things, so I'm going to keep this short, short for real this time. Uh, it was a good season. Uh, the finale was great. I think that uh, the the reveal of you know Rudy being Dexter's brother was unique. It certainly caught me off guard. I think that's the thing no one could predict. Even if people had predicted that Rudy was the extra killer, they I don't think any of them could predict that he was his brother. You know, so I think that was good. I remember thinking when I initially saw it, and I still think to this day that the ending, like the ticker tape parade of Dexter's. Uh, fantasy at the end. I thought that was really great, a beautiful scene. Uh, I think it really exemplifies Dexter's uh, need or his desire to belong. You know, I think that's really great. Uh, it's just a fantastic season. Obviously, season one did something right. I mean, I mean, look where we are now. We you know, got season six coming down the pike. People get hooked during season one, you know, so uh, you know, I, I don't know what much to say about season one. Uh, we're left in a great position for season two. Uh, you know, Dexter now has some, perhaps some doubt in his head about his father regarding, you know, he found out, you know, he found out Harry lied to him. And, uh, you know, uh, Dokes is, you know, he's tailing Dexter now, it seems. He, you know, he was parked outside Rita's house in the finale. Rita, speaking of which, found the boot. Maybe she's going to be more suspicious of Dexter. Oh, uh, you know, he could be in a whole world of trouble next season. You know, we we just don't know. And you know, poor Deb. You know, she's gonna, she's she's gonna be a complete mess. Look at this girl, man. Ah, poor Deb. I think that's a that's a popular saying that you have, Gareth. Poor Deb. Well, any dang way, I guess that's it. I know I have a penchant for rambling, so let's keep this short, huh? Anyway, uh, I look forward to season two rewatches and season six definitely. See you around. Thanks, Travis. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, I like that final scene, the ticker tape scene, as you call it. And you emphasise uh, Dexter's need to belong. And and that's a very important point. Um, and another difference between Dexter and Brian. Brian really was a complete sociopath. He exhibited no desire whatsoever to make any kind of connection to any other living person apart from Dexter. Uh, but Dexter, we've seen that, that he can benefit from connections with, I want to say, normal people. But you know what I mean. Um, and these connections could be his could be his salvation. And yeah, it, it all set up season two very nicely with Dexter's personal doubts, his doubts about Harry. Uh, we had uh, that clear shot of Dokes obviously tailing him. And and Deb in a bit of a mess. So, OK, so thanks, Travis. Uh, great thoughts there, as always. Uh, moving on to the emails, Matthew Battles from England has emailed in to say, Hey there, Gareth. Really enjoying the podcast so far. Series one almost over with. I just wanted to throw in a couple of points about Born Free. I really enjoy the acting in this episode. Michael C. Hall puts in a stellar performance as ever. And the exchanges between Dex and Brian, or Biney, 
are really subtly done and nicely played. On a slightly comedic note, I always get a little kick out of the mentally unstable person in the room with Batista. She knows, she knows, she knows. While completely irrelevant to the narrative, it is slightly amusing as it mirrors Deborah's predicament. She knows. Also, the foundations for the second series of Dexter. Paul looking for the shoe and Dokes tailing are set pretty smoothly too. Thanks, Matthew. Agreed. Some really great acting throughout the season, really, from Michael C. Hill and uh, Christian Camargo as Brian or Rudy. Um, yeah, he did some great work as well. Some very nice, subtle nuances there. I, I don't think I've seen Camargo in anything else since. Uh, I don't know if any of you listeners have um, and whether he's if you have seen him in anything else, whether he's been as good. Yeah, the the, uh, the mental patient next to Batista. I must admit, on first watch, I thought that was going to come to something more. Um, but obviously it just gave Batista the, the idea to uh, check into um, uh, mental patients, uh, for want of a better phrase. <laughs> Horrible phrase, but um, you know what I mean. Another email... Matt Humphrey from Canada has emailed in. Uh, this is Matt Humphrey who does the Twin Peaks podcast. Um, he says the finale of season one does a great job of wrapping everything up in the span of 60 minutes without making, seem, making things seem like they were rushed. The pacing is perfect in my opinion. Some of the finales from later seasons... Oh, spoiler alert. Oh no, maybe not. Although he, he mentions season five in particular. Um... They don't give the smaller plot lines a satisfying satisfying conclusion or seem to just drop certain things entirely. Uh, I'll just jump in. It's not, not really a spoiler to say that. Um, certainly doesn't give anything away. Um, just comparing the finales, I guess. Uh, Matt goes on to say, I think the only thing that was dropped without a resolution in the first season is LaGuerta's crush on Dexter. It seems so odd when you rewatch this season and notice in those couple of episodes her hitting on him, because you know it just stops without them ever having a confrontation about it. By the later seasons, I'd almost forgotten about it ever happening. This first season of Dexter was great, and I think it probably is my third favourite after seasons two and four. I'm really looking forward to your rewatch of season two. How long has it been since you've seen it? You're doing a great job with the show. Thanks, Matt. Good to hear from you. Season two. Honestly, uh, like season one, I've never done a rewatch, so when we get round to looking at season two, I'll be rewatching it for the first time since it originally aired. So it's you know it's been a few years since I saw it. You, you have an attempt there at ranking your favourite seasons. I spent a lot of time on the <laughs> on the season five um, dissecting Dexter's, uh, making. <sighs> pathetic attempts at ranking the seasons in in my own order of preference and i ended up giving it up as a bad job but certainly season one overall is is really great television you pick up there on uh some of the the smaller plot lines uh being dropped in later seasons which is definitely true some some things that seem important earlier on um tend to get kind of left by the wayside um season one generally as you say, does a very good job of wrapping things up, tying up the loose ends, uh, or certainly carrying them over into season two rather than just being forgotten about. The obvious crush that Dexter makes more than one reference to, um, Laguerta's crush, um, 
that did get dropped and I'd put that down to the writers kind of feeling their way in those early two or three episodes um, and maybe they felt maybe they felt it just wasn't something they wanted to carry on I guess looking back it would have been nice if they had made reference to it and just sort of maybe had Dexter mention it maybe halfway through the season and um, maybe express a little bit of relief that she didn't seem to be flirting with him anymore. Something like that would have would have been useful. But, you know, it, it always happens with a new show that certainly those early few episodes, they're finding their feet, feeling their way, um, establishing the show, establishing the pace. And certainly a show can be subject to to changes as it kind of gets into the swing of things. I don't think Dexter is uh, is unusual in that. Next email from uh, another fellow countryman of mine, Stephen Alice from England, says, You will recall I emailed you after the last podcast and I was listening to your preview of season six and then heard the email. Well, since my son and I have progressed in between his GCSEs and have almost finished season three, what were his thoughts of season one? Well, his first response was, is there a trailer for season two? Followed by, let's watch episode one of season two. He hadn't clicked that Dexter was related and thought Dexter was going to kill Debs because he wanted a brother. And of course Debs is, his, is only his stepsister, albeit he was adopted. So Dexter wins the day and he likes the end part when Dexter thinks he's recognised as a hero. All in all, he thought it was a great series and he's hoping to be up to, up to date soon with season five. He has no idea what the plots are in each series, although by now he knows about series two and three. He called me a geek for emailing you and the show. So, Bradley Alice from Liverpool, this email is for you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Glad to hear that uh, you're still, you and your son are still wading through the seasons and uh, I'm glad that, that Bradley's still enjoying it. And I hope his GCSEs went well. Obviously, he's got some great stuff to, still to come, particularly season four. Uh, no spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, he hadn't picked up that, um, that Dexter and, and Brian were related. Well, he's not alone there until uh, certainly on my first watch, um, until it was until we got the reveal on screen. It didn't click with me either. But um, yeah, maybe it would be good to hear from from you, Stephen, during season two to see um, what what Bradley thought of of season two as well. Next emails from Tom in Poland, who says, "Hello, this was a really great ending to the season. Fast paced and very interesting. A few points. One." I disliked a little the fact that Rita found Paul's shoe and didn't even ask Dexter about it. They really should have handled that differently. 2. The tension between Dokes and Dexter in this episode was amazing and it will only get more interesting in season 2. Dokes' hostility against Dexter is something I really like about this show. 3. The confrontation between our two serial killers was the best element of this for me. Dexter refuses to become like Brian although we see that in a way he admires him. I believe if Brian wouldn't insist on killing Deborah, Dexter might have chose not to kill him and probably join him as it was certainly tempting for him. One thing in this episode surprised me in relation to the season 6 trailer. Oh, maybe I should stop reading there. <laughs> uh, thanks Tom. To address your points, your first point about the shoe. Um, Rita didn't find the shoe until uh, right well, almost, well, it was the penultimate scene, I think, right at the end of the episode. Uh, so she hasn't had a chance to uh, talk to Dexter about it. But we'll see what she does with that information uh, pretty early on in season two, perhaps. 
Your second point, uh, the Dokes-Dexter confrontation was really great. I was surprised when they started fighting. Uh, but the tension had been brewing, and obviously <laughs> Dokes isn't quite as in control of his temper as Dexter is. It takes quite a lot to push Dexter. And yeah, the the hostility there from Dokes was something was one of the key factors that hooked me into the show originally. I was keen to see where the show would go with that. And obviously it's going to run over into season two, as we've now seen. So um, lots to look forward to in that regard. Lots indeed. Uh, and your third point, the confrontation between Brian and Dexter really was great. As I said earlier, it's the culmination of, of the entire season. It's what we've been building up to. And uh, it didn't disappoint for me. It's interesting to speculate what might have happened had Brian not opted to try and plunge the knife into Deborah's chest himself. What would have come of their relationship? That's, that's a really fascinating question. Could they have coexisted? Maybe not. I mean, Brian was a perfect fit for Dexter's code, wasn't he? He was he was an ideal, um, an ideal kill for him, really. Although when it all came down to it, uh, Dexter said, "You're you're not a trophy." And really, it was it was Dexter's sense of morality and his feelings for Deborah that won through. Well, we'll never know, but it certainly is fascinating to consider. Thanks, Tom. Next email, Paris Hardy from Alabama says, Hey, I've really enjoyed this season one review, or re-review. Let me preface by saying that I completely lost my season one box set, and I've only recently had the time to sit down and re-watch the final few episodes online. That being said, I'd really forgotten how much of a wild ride the first season was. Reviewing the first 12 really gives you a chance to examine the details and hints you might have missed upon the first viewing, especially in the case of Brian and Rudy. I enjoyed the scenes between he and Dexter in the finale the most. The way they shot Dexter talking to him while remembering their childhood was heartbreaking. You could almost feel how disconnected and taken aback Dexter was at finding out the truth. In turn, it made Brian's almost rabid excitement all the more disturbing. In this episode, the two brothers can always be seen as mirror opposites of each other. Brian is most likely what Dexter would have become if it weren't for Harry's guidance and sense of family he tried to build around him as a boy a killer without conscience or code. Needless to say, I was glad Dexter chose to be a better monster and take him down. I also love the scene when Deborah stood up for him in front of Dokes and LaGuerta. Ironic, since she didn't know that her brother literally held her fate in his hands just moments earlier. Finally, we are given hints of future conflicts with Dokes and Rita, alerted to the fact that Dexter might not be the spotless lab geek boyfriend he pretends to be. My favourite episode of the first season. Well, thanks, Paris. Really, I I find it hard to add to anything you've said there. You've pretty much perfectly summed things up, uh, particularly about the scenes between Brian and Dexter. It was a really well-produced set of scenes, really. Uh, so credit to the, the showmakers, the creative team, and, and as I said earlier, to the, the actors involved. So... Uh, I don't really want to add to uh, to your comments. I'll, I'll just let your email speak for itself because you um, you put down some really good thoughts there. Thanks for the email. Harry can't save you now, but you could email the podcast. DissectingDexter at gmail.com Okay, the final email 
is from an old friend of ours who uh, listeners who have already played through the podcasts covering season five of Dexter will be very familiar with this contributor who um, in the end revealed that she is an author, um, which sheds a, a whole new dimension on her perspective, really. Um, so her input is, is very much appreciated and, and really adds a lot to the podcast. So I'm really grateful to Writer Gal for sending in her thoughts on season one and the finale. So I'll, I'll read her email now. She says, Hi Gareth, a few thoughts about season one. First, anyone who read the first Dexter book wouldn't be surprised by the plot because the TV series followed the book's plot for the most part. Some differences, of course, but the revelation of the ice truck killer and Dexter's backstory was all in the pages of Jeff Lindsay's novel. I just watched the first episode again tonight, and I was struck with how good the writing is. One of the first things a writer must do in establishing or beginning a story is to make the reader-slash-viewer admire and bond with the protagonist. How can we bond with a serial killer? At the very beginning, we feel sympathy for Dex, who tells us that he's a monster. We wonder if we ought to believe him. And then we go with him into the swamp, and we watch him confront the perverted choir director. And we hear Dex say that he could never, ever hurt children. And we admire that. He has a virtue. In that early moment, we already doubt his assertion that he's monstrous. We also watch him help out his sister, and we hear that if he has feelings for anyone, he has them for Deb. And we admire that. Dex can see beyond the foul mouth and the sex suit to see her big heart. We watch him joke with his co-workers and sense that he truly likes them, except maybe dokes. And we especially admire the fact that he's very, very good at his job, proving dokes wrong about the villain in the cokehead murders. Score, Dex 1, Doke 0. Most of all, we see that Dex has respect for Rita. He may not love her, but he's genuinely fond of her children, and he respects her wounds. He will not force her, or purposely hurt her. Is that a monster? We think not. We also see that he cared about his foster parents. In a flashback, we hear that he hasn't hurt a person because he didn't think Doris and Harry would like it. I know lots of teens who don't have that much respect or affection for their parents. A lot is accomplished in this first episode, but we immediately see that Dex is an unreliable narrator. He is not the monster he believes he is, and proof of his affection and caring are clearly visible. He's justice on a leash, vengeance under control. He takes the action we wish we could take, and we can't help but perhaps secretly admire that. This first season is the backstory season, where we discover, along with Dex, the memories he has repressed. And they are so awful, so terrible, that we can't help but feel even more sorry for Dex and grateful for Harry, who took a wounded, scarred boy and gave him a life. No one did that for Brian, and by juxtaposing the two brothers' stories, we see what Dex could have become without love. And that just might be the most powerful kind of story of all. Wow. Thanks, writer gal. Um you sum things up there very nicely and obviously uh, focusing a little bit on the uh, the first episode um, which which gave us that fantastic introduction to this great character and yet that point about Dexter being an unreliable narrator I think we picked on that um, once before perhaps it was in um, one of the season five podcasts um, that uh, while Dexter's telling us one thing, we can see clearly, certainly in this, this first season, we can see evidence on screen um, to the contrary. I like your turn of phrase there. He's justice on a leash, vengeance under control. 
very nice uh, analogies there. Is that the right word? Analogies, metaphor. Um, and how he takes the action we wish we could take. Uh, and that kind of ties in with the final scene where Dexter's fantasizing about a ticker tape parade in his honor uh, with placards saying, We love Dexter, good work, Dexter. And they're saying, Way to take out the trash, Dex. Everybody, the general public, really pleased and, and excited and in awe of, of what Dexter does. And you can see the smile in his face. He's proud. He's he's reveling in the, in the glory. Um, and perhaps that's what he secretly admires. And when we know he um, he's resigned to always having to hide his true self, um, living in the shadows, he says. Um, but really, I think he, he yearns to be able to be open about how he is, uh, at least with somebody, which ties back in with what we talked about with, with making connections um, and, and how he had very briefly that connection with Brian, someone who he didn't have to hide from and, and could completely be himself and, and not be judged for it, not be judged in a, a negative way. So thanks again, Writer Girl, for your thoughts. Uh, hopefully hear from you in season two. OK, so if you want to send me an email, you're very welcome. It's dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Or you can follow the show on Twitter, at Dissect Dexter. Or you can follow my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. So we've made it. We've got to the end of season one, and what a ride it's been. And reading... The feedback from you guys and uh, responding, it all it does, it just emphasises to me and reminds me what a great season of television it's been and what a fantastic character we've been introduced to in Dexter. And I, for one, am, I can't wait to get stuck into season two. I mean, as you know, I've watched it before and uh, I know what's coming, but even so, I'm looking forward to re-watching it. And re-watching it with you guys and responding to it and talking about it and dissecting it as we do. And uh, as, as has happened with season one, there's a lot that's that's come out that I missed first time round. And um, from your feedback, uh, you guys are in the same position, uh, discovering discovering things that you might have missed first time. And, and that's really one of the main aims of, of this podcast. So I'm, I'm not going to take up any more of your time this this has already been uh, a bit of a marathon podcast for for a solo effort uh we've, we've had a couple of marathons when, I, when i've had uh, discussions with with guests uh which is all good stuff but uh you've had probably i don't know around 20 of of my monotonous tones droning on uh, hopefully i've not lost you <laughs> um i'll be speaking to you again soon uh when we embark on season two of dexter and i can't wait so join me again soon and we'll dissect some more Dexter together. Take care, guys. Thanks for your support. Cheers for now.